What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's guest is the one and only James Fitzgerald of OPEX Fitness. James is very popular in the functional fitness space for what he has done with athletes and trainers in the CrossFit world, in the functional fitness world, and in the sport of fitness. Um, He has created some insane athletes and he has created some systems behind what creates insane athletes that are really respectable and just really intelligent. And I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this because I get to deep dive in this with James who is somebody who – just has a different way of doing things, and I really respect how he does it for a few reasons. Number one, OPEX is a very reputable source, so the fact that he is coming on the show to just share knowledge is huge because they've done so much in the industry, and they've created so many gyms around the world, so it's really, really honoring to have uh, James on the podcast. Number two, they are huge proponents of education, which we are as well at Boom Boom Performance. We believe that education is the crux that builds not only compliance and consistency, but longevity in the sport, in the fitness, and in nutrition. They are the exact same way, and I swear to God, every single week, some other educational course or book or some product is coming out from OPEX because they're so big on education and they're constantly pushing that side of things. So I really, really enjoy the fact that they do that. So I'm excited to have them on because of that as well. And last but not least, it takes a different kind of human being and a different type of coach to be able to dissect what is going on in the sport of fitness and create a method that actually makes sense, that actually has structure. If you look at the sport of fitness, if you look at functional fitness and CrossFit and things like this, a lot of coaches just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and hope something sticks because there's so much going on. It can be so complex that it confuses the everyday person, some athletes and some coaches on how to actually program to get better at that sport. There is so many different energy systems going on, so many different types of skills going on, so many different modalities of goals. Like if you look at the goal of CrossFit, it's to be good at all these different things. And if we look in the history of strength training and physique training and powerlifting and all these different sports and all these different realms of fitness, the goal should be to pick one thing and get really good at it. So we've kind of confused the system with the sport of functional fitness, which is why it's so respectable to have coaches who can actually go in and create a method, a philosophy, and a structure behind how to get better at all of these things all at once. So having James on the podcast to talk about that is really interesting. It's really fun. Um, And I had a blast talking to him and diving into this conversation, and I know you will too. So make sure you grab a pen, you grab a paper, because James is about to drop knowledge, and he's about to teach you so many different things inside this podcast that I really, really want to make sure you guys take away notes from it. Before we jump into this episode, I want to uh, remind you guys a couple of things. First and foremost is that I just dropped the latest ebook program. And this is actually a perfect podcast to be using um, in to, to promote this podcast because it is very much in the functional realm. The program is called Functional Intensity Training. It is FIT. So it's FIT. The ebook gives you an eight-week training plan, which can actually be stretched out into 16 weeks of training if you cannot hit the gym six days a week, and that includes strength training and conditioning built in this. This program is going to use all of the energy systems. It's going to use all of the movement patterns, and it's going to use a ton of different exercise variations, so every single week, it's actually a different program. There are certain things that stay the same every single week, like the compound list, because you are going to see dramatic changes and increases 
in your personal records on those compound lifts, but I am going to progress you through exercise variation and loading patterns so you can get functionally better at these movements and at these exercises while still having fun, still enjoying the program, keeping things interesting, and most importantly, keeping things challenging. So by the end of it, you are your fittest self, and that's why I called it FIT. Also because it is functionally intense, which means you are not just driving intensity through the roof for the sake of being quote-unquote intense or badass or hardcore. There is a method to the madness inside this program, and I'm going to functionally periodize your intensity so that you're not doing too much, you're not doing too little, you're challenging yourself, but you're able to recover along the way. This program took a lot longer than most of my programs, and I'm super excited for you guys to download this one simply because I put so much effort into it, and I think if there's any program I've created to create a well-rounded trainee or athlete or trainer – This is the program. It is going to help you build in so many different ways. So if you guys want more information on that, you can uh, just drop down into the show notes. There is a link for you to click. You can also go to fit.boomboomperformance.com. Again, that link is in the show notes. Now, without any further ado... Let's get on to the show. And remember, guys, if you want to help me spread this message, if you want to help us reach more people and help change more people's lives, make sure you tag us on Instagram. Put us on your story. Tag James at jfitzopex and tag me at cody.boomboom. Now, let's get on to the episode with James. All right, James, I am super excited to have you on the podcast, man, um, for a couple reasons. One, I just actually did a podcast with uh, Robbie on your guys' end, and I had a blast talking with him. Um, But two, you guys do – so much in the educational space. And I appreciate that so much as a coach um, and a content provider and somebody who just really focuses on just educating people, not only other coaches, but also the people, because I believe compliance inside of fitness really is a result of understanding what we're doing instead of just taking Blake statements or using what other people use for the sake of using it, but understanding yeah. the philosophies and the strategy behind it. And I appreciate what you guys do because everything is so educational. And it, it honestly blows my mind because I feel like every week I get hit with my email and you guys have another course coming out or all these different things. And I'm like, holy shit, these guys are machines. You guys are coming out with so much stuff. I love it. So um, before I go on a rant, man, I appreciate you being here. And uh, can you tell the listeners who don't know, which I would be surprised if they don't, who James Fitzgerald is? Yep. I'm the founder of OPEX. Uh, as of this year, uh, I've been doing it as part of my practice as a business for 20 years. So I'm pretty uh, I made an Instagram post about that today. I'm pretty grateful for that journey thus far. I've been coaching for about 25 years, close to 25 years now. Um, I was a young uh, athlete and, and got an injury uh, towards the end of my high school career um, that made me fall in love with rehab and the body and physical fitness. Um, and that transformed my ideas around wanting to learn more about fitness. So I went through the academic route of it. Um, and as I was going through the academic route, I started experimenting with like, what is this thing with lifting weights and cardiovascular work that I'm learning about in the science realm, um, kind of dabbled into what it would feel like inside of education to teach others about it. Um, and then recognized that once I got out, I had to continue like to experiment with everything, uh, bodybuilding, powerlifting, long distance running, uh, mixed modal work, intense fitness, easy fitness, et cetera. Um, cause it allowed me to do my job better as I got, as I finished with that academia. Um, and then over time, I had success with uh, multiple styles of business um, offerings and service offerings for business in my practice as a coach. And then just started like, I, I just like to use analogy, started writing books really, which comes out in different forms, right? But I just started writing books on like, 
what has made this journey great and why have I had some success or some failures? And that turned into some education on coaching. And that's what brings us here today. I'm now uh, been living in the United States for seven years. I am a Canadian um, and I've been living down here with my family. We have uh, uh, OPEX HQ here with uh, a 15,000 square foot facility uh, with an awesome gym inside, uh, 30 plus employees, um, have educated over uh, 2,500 coaches now worldwide. Um, we're growing in gyms. Uh, we have a good contingent of online clients who do fitness and um, happy as shit. <laughs> I love it, dude. It's grown so much since the beginning. So I'm, I'm first curious of when did OPEX start as its own um, entity um, and how did that actually happen? Because you were an athlete, you were a coach, and then at some point you had to have created OPEX. So I kind of want to know about that transition. Yeah, well, um, you may change your question uh, after I give you the idea. In 99, it was called OPT. The name of OPEX changed due to trademark infringement or just making sure that we weren't in, in, impeding on uh, uh, Michael Clark and NASM's OPT personal training um, uh, route that they had. And uh, we didn't even know, honestly, that they had used that name when we came down. And so we had to shift it over. Um, which just made sense. I mean, uh, we respected the fact that right of first usage for that name. Um, and so we had to change OPEX. So it started in 99 with just me. It was just me going into the, whatever that building is where you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to build a business <laughs> and uh, I want to start this fitness thing. You know, I have all these letters behind my name. I have all this education. Like, what do I do? Um, and so that started 20 years ago. I love it. And, and you were kind of at the forefront of CrossFit for a while, I believe. What, made you, did you compete or did you, were you an athlete in that space? Did you coach athletes in that space? And then what made you kind of separate? Cause you guys do things quite differently. And I look at it, you guys are definitely making a stand for like fitness as a sport, which I appreciate. And I love, and there's so much technicality into what you guys do inside the program design of it. So I really want to touch on that, but I'm curious of what made you start shifting into that model of individualization. Yeah. I'll try to tie in the CrossFit story there too. So remember, well, I take for granted a lot of people are not as old as I am or been in the game long enough for, to understand that. But 15 years ago now is when I started doing CrossFit as a dot-com workout online. Okay. So when I started doing it, it was like a personal experience for me. As, you, as I said, like circa 98 till like 2004, um, as I'm not going to assume to know what you're doing, but um, as a coach, you're just in the trenches. Like you're coaching people, you're doing all different kinds of things, trying bodybuilding, trying West side method, trying uh, high intensity interval training. You're trying everything. You just want to see exactly what are the tools are that you're working with here, right? Yeah. To see if it's going to be effective for those who you're working with. Um, and I had some athletes within that too. So I kind of could, you know, tie it all in. And so then when I started doing CrossFit, it was personal for me. Like I wanted to do it for my own like evolution as an athlete and try to figure out what this thing was. And it was a daily workout for me. But when I saw it, and I, I speak about this a little differently each time, when I saw it, I saw like, like decades of work that was going to be inside of it in terms of how to use these tools effectively for health and fitness as well as possibly sport development. And then secondarily, I saw it as this really interesting shift in the market on what intensity was inside of fitness. Um, and that's, that's, that's where... But that also, to your answer your question, that's what started that, I guess you could call it a separation, is that um, I did open two businesses as a classic CrossFit micro gyms, but it never really worked with my internal philosophy of individual design based upon what I just told you I saw that was inside of it. 
because I felt that it was such a such a mystical dose response that needed to be treated with care. And in order to do it effectively, it had to be done on an individualized level. It was, it's, and, and just, you know, just think about it, Cody, like <laughs> in 2002, if I, if you were to walk into any gym, be like, I got this idea. I want to take weightlifting and make it intense and put it into group fitness. People be like, get out. Yeah. You can't work here. Like, think about that. People forget that. And so, and people think that, oh, James, the reason why that was the case is because people weren't tough enough then. That's why they, no, it makes absolutely no sense. It makes no sense biologically. Yeah, you can duct tape it as much as you want. It has no intention on long-term development for physicality, right? So the idea of it, I found interesting, but I just couldn't put it into place. And that's why, um, I guess you could call it that separation where, I thought it was an unbelievable tool and I just continued to use it as an awesome tool to support my fitness ideas and, and I, uh, others want to just get a little bit more serious into it for commercial interest. Yeah. And I think everything is really a tool, right? Everything we, we use and I'm the same way with nutrition. Like you can't group nutrition coach, like everything is so individualized. So I, I yeah. really do appreciate that philosophy and that method behind it. Um, I'm curious as far as what OPEX does inside of individualizing while still allowing athletes to compete in that kind of realm. Um, I remember, you know, being in my background, just very much like you said, in the trenches, strength training, athletes, general population stuff. When CrossFit came out, I was one of those people that was like, you're insane. That doesn't make any sense. Um, especially when we look at periodization for true strength, if we're looking at powerlifting and stuff, we're doing damn near the same thing week after week after week, trying to progressively overload. How do you factor yep. that in? to um, a type of modality that's just so random is kind of a word I could use, I guess, but we look across it. Every week's different. Every workout's different. Mm -hmm. There's so many yeah. different things thrown into once. How are you guys yeah. individualizing progressive overload through that? Because that's what yeah. fascinates me so much with what you guys do. Yeah. Well, uh, the quick answer is do the mixed model course. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause it really is so complex that I can't give you the answer in like 15 minutes. Right. Um, but the second level to that, is to make people think that we do have these fundamental truths in what is required at a physical level for expression at a weekend competition, right? We do have what's required. I'll just give you an example of the analogy used for powerlifting. For powerlifting, and excuse me if I, if I kick the crap out of this, you'll have you know three or four attempts at these maximum lifts in this order on a Saturday afternoon, mm -hmm. right? And if that's your competition, you basically reverse engineer everything backwards to peak someone for those physical requirements, okay? So that's where you start on, you know, well, how do you develop it? If the sport looks just like craziness, how do you progress to that? You have to, first of all, come up with an ideal of whatever expression is on the weekend. And then you reverse engineer backwards. This is to answer your question on progression. You have to see where people sit on that continuum of this possibility of expression. So what's out there in the market, which is why it confuses a lot of folks, 90% of most people who the market sees, the market sees competing in the sport, actually are not competing. They're participating and they're surviving, right? And you can see that's the fundamental difference between the top 10% who are the other 10% who are actually competing. They actually have gone through the progressive overload that you're asking to be able to express those dynamic contractions in an aerobic environment in that weekend of the ideal event, six competitions, or sorry, six races over one weekend. So my job is to, is to basically look at the patterns 
as to what was the, the answer to create all those progressions to get someone to the point of best expression, which as you know is a complicated scenario because we have so many skills involved. We have so many random pieces of events, right? So you've got to almost be like a, a, psycho, a quasi, like a neo-generalist, right? Like a, a psychologist and a, and a biochemist and a, and a physics person and a math person um, and an energy understanding and a mechanical understanding. You got to kind of wrap all that together to be able to progress skills so that they can express them on that weekend. Yeah. The reason I, I respect programming in this fashion so much is because it's so complex. If you come to me and you're yeah. like, hey, I, want, I want to build muscle, easy. <laughs> it's, it's really yeah. easy. We're Relatively. Gonna have yeah. It's, it's, it's simple. I shouldn't say easy. It's simple because yeah. it's going to take hard work. But the programming behind it is so much more simple than what you're talking about right now. Um, so I'd love to hear your Well, that's why I just want to make a point on that. Sorry, Cody, to cut you off. But I wanted to make a point on it just in case you don't ask about it because a lot of people ask and I'm kind of just biased on it. So that's why I preach about it. That's why I, I tell a lot of coaches who come in front of me, I would like you to upgrade your level of knowledge in coaching such that you could, could coach a mixed modal athlete because there's so many challenges involved in progressing people in that sport. You don't ever need to be a coach in the sport, nor do you need to create a world champion. But the mind stuff your brain is going to go through in order to organize all those things, I think, makes you um, a really good professional coach because it challenges you so hard in organizing these things effectively and not giving into the chaos, uh, random uh, shit that people believe that's all we do, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to uh no, you're totally fine. Um, I, I'm actually glad that you dove into that and you touched on that. I was going to bring mixed modal up a little bit later, but let's get into it right now. Can you, can you, since we're talking about this, can you just define what mixed modal is for the listener? And then maybe you can kind of break down the tiers in your course or whatever, because I want to show people what's actually inside, because obviously we can't explain the whole topic in a podcast, but just give them a little bit of insight. Yeah. So mixed modal, if you want to think of it as like a, a book, but it's a, uh, it's a uh, elongated online education uh, platform for about this book. And the book is about the sport, right? The book entails everything that you want to know in, in terms of history, organizational design, what does the training programs look like of the best? What does beginner training programs look like? What are the kind of concepts in energy systems? What are the kind of concepts in mechanical stuff you need to be considered? Um, fueling inside of it, competition, organization, um, different levels of competition, all the, all the aspects of the sport, right, itself is contained, contained inside of that, let's call it a book. Uh, my whole idea for, for maybe for your listeners that may understand it, I had this emblem of wanting it to be like the super training of our sport, right? You know, Mel Siff's super training book, oh, yeah. whether you believed him or not or liked him or not, everyone had it on their shelf as a coach, right? And you would go in there and dig in to, for to like a topic where it's just like, oh my God, like I need a breather or you need to take a, a towel with you to kind of get through the information. But that's what I wanted mixed modal to be is, is people to have it on their shelf to be like that, you know, that area you'd go to like learn about what is this sport culture, right? What, what's inside of it and, and uh, what are the, I guess you would say, some of the truths of the sport in progression and skills and the beauty around it. So that's really what it is. I hope, hope that explains it. Absolutely. Inside of that. Um, one thing I really appreciated when I found uh, some of your guys' energy system stuff is you referred to it as uh, pain, gain and sustain, which I think is a great way to just 
such good nicknames to make it understandable for people. Um, cool. But there's these different energy systems. And we will look at like using powerlifting example again, like, or just like a basic linear strength program. We kind of have these like phases where we're just focusing on strength and we take like a block for hypertrophy and then we come back to strength and it's kind of this slow process of slowly trying to gain. And then in my world, daily undulated periodization came out where we have like every week we're working on three different types of intensities. Mixed modal is kind of similar to that. And I'm just curious of how you look at periodizing this because there's so many different energy systems being used you're going from aerobic to anaerobic are you doing those on the same days do you think people should split this up by week like how do you manage this and then i would love to talk on like recovery how do you make sure your athletes are actually recovering because i think that's one of the biggest downfalls inside the sport yeah well you can come back to me on recovery after okay. this but the, the the big areas are very similar in terms of how to organize stuff but again it's the same answer i gave you earlier that you have to have an ideal of what the goal is and everyone has to agree that it's full expression for the weekend, and that's the competitive event, right? So you have to have a date, you have to have a goal, and then you have to figure out, obviously, ability, and then you have to figure out how far away are you from current ability to that maximal expression. And that's the global idea what you start with, right? It's, and I don't wanna say it's simple for powerlifting, but you, know, you will have a date nine months and you're like, right now I can lift this and my goal is to get to there and lift that. It's like, okay, well, you know, and how you get there is based upon a bunch of different things, um, which I do want to come back to on the recovery aspect because the interesting thing we may have in parallel, I'm not assuming that's your sport, but in parallel for what we need for assessment is we need to know the person's training age to in order to dictate exactly what kind of adaptation they're going to have anyways, right? If I'm working with an 18-year-old and starting out, their adaptation is probably going to look like that, right? But I'm working with a 29-year-old who's been in the game for 10 years. Their adaptation is like this, right? So that's where you have, to, you have to overlay that in your assessment of like, well, what's my training plan? So the phases are still the same. I name them a little differently. I call them base phases and then tough phases, pre-comp phase, comp phase, and deload. And those phases are what people will go through. And they need to be that way to be super simple, Cody, with your brain. I know what you're thinking is like, well, it's all random. So how do you organize all that shit in certain styles is that you need to create heuristics. So it keeps the coach and the athlete in line with a certain kind of goal for each of those areas. Right. And if you don't have that, you honestly are just guessing. Now, if there's a sport out there where you can't guess, it's mixed modal yeah. because some of the guesswork that's involved where people are like, ah, fuck periodization. None of those planning styles work. The only, the only people that can abide by for that are the elite unicorns who self-organize better than everyone else. But when you actually look at how they do their training, what does it turn out to be? Base phase, tough phases, pre-comp phases, comp phases. It's just that they speak and market about it and they don't want to tell anyone the truth because they can't explain it. Does that make sense? They can't yeah. explain unconscious. They're unconscious to the fact that they're self-organizing in their own periodization format. Right? So they're just like, Oh, I just go out there and do whatever I need to do. And I just get better. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not true. <clears throat> Cause I've been there before and I know I've coached it. So we have base phases, tough phases, pre-comp phases, and comp phases. And I'll give you a little bit, you know, more of uh, an inside position on that base is really, you're focusing on, a lot of aspects of skill development. You're focusing on trying to figure out where they sit in what our language would be in strength, right? Which is, is really absolute strength and strength speed. Those are the two main areas in which we need to perform at the highest level for our sport 
as well as the battery of those two levels of strength. And then we need to figure out where they sit in conditioning. But the conditioning is pretty much based upon volume and accumulation of work in the base phase. The tough phase, when people transition into the tough phase, and it doesn't just happen from Sunday night to Monday, it's usually a, an extended overlap of the, of the phase of training. It gets, let's just call it what you would consider, I guess, an intensification phase, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. where you're trying to figure out how close they are to the real shit that they need to get next to. So that's where you're doing threshold training, a lot of capacity work for conditioning, and you're really trying to move the needle up in terms of resistance and how you're doing in regards to that. And then pre-comp phases, the, the interesting thing around the sport is that because it's such a metabolic shit kicking, you need to have a pre-comp phase that has had such a big base phase that you can go through it long enough and sustain. Because remember, a pre-comp phase for mixed modal, you're basically doing a shit kicking for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? You're actually doing the sport for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so um, this is where it takes obviously a, a perfection in design because if people haven't gone through a big enough base phase, the pre-comp, they'll die out in like three days. They'll do actual competitive style formats and they'll be gassed out. And people are like, oh, geez, I guess we need to make your pre-comp phase smaller. No, you need to make your base phase bigger because you need to do the pre-comp to build yourself up to the capabilities of competing at a really high expressive level. So, and then we have a deload based upon whatever the competitive format was. Um, and this can maybe segue into our recovery commentary if that explains uh, how I kind of organize that in, in heuristics. Yeah, my... my question on that would be the timeline so if we have a uh, an athlete who is already competing are they going through let's say like each year they have you know this base phase and then this transition to the next phase and they go through that until the competition depending on when how long they have um mm -hmm. or with a beginner that's like hey i've never competed but i want to be like mm -hmm. that you're like yeah. hey we're going through a base phase until you have the skill acquisition until so we can transition you um yeah, and yeah. It's extended how does that look between the beginner and the advanced yeah, so the beginner should, should not be competing until they can express the weekend. That's the real simple answer, you know, to where they sit yeah. on that. Um, but obviously, there's like, geez, I don't know, 3 million people that are, are trying to express every second weekend, right? But this is my point that, and a lot of people get caught up on this because they just can't deconstruct their biases around, oh, but everyone's allowed to compete, you know? It's like, well, yeah, sure, everyone's allowed to, like, get the T-shirt at the end of a 5K run. But if they got plantar fasciitis and it takes them 40 minutes to do a 5K, is that like, are we giving high fives for that? No, but you and I laugh at that. But so many people enter these weekend competitions or enter the open and they actually can't do the task. Yeah. Like, yeah. it just, like, it blows my mind. And, and you know, and, and people get really heated when I say that, right? Because they think I'm, I'm a non-inclusion uh, advocate. It's like, I got, I got no business with that. I don't care if they want to do it or not. But I'm, I'm telling you, they, they're actually not competing. So back to your point on beginners, the, let me just say that the timeline for the beginner to get ready to express at what's currently offered for the test is probably like a four to six year plan before they do one competition. That's a big buy-in for a lot of people, but I think it's, <laughs> but I think it's what people but, need to hear. It oh, really for is. sure. But, but the story everyone says is like, yeah, but the person who's elite they competed every second weekend and got better. It's like, yeah, but they were much better than you. <laughs> yeah. Like, like so much better. And they were so resilient that they, when they did the competition, it was like, oh, that was fun. That was a good learning. Right. But you don't have that capability. 
And so we need to we need to see what those people do in those areas as a beacon, not necessarily of capabilities. And so that'll allow then people to like, but I mean, Cody, it's a it's a long-winded issue because uh, you know, people are so excited, right? They're just so excited to compete. They feel like it's useless if they don't get into a competitive format or see the whiteboard because the whole culture is wrapped around it. Um, so for a beginner, they won't be competing hardly at all unless it's like some very simple tests that they can do every now and then that kind of figures out like, how are you doing, right, in your fitness level? But to be able to say that they can do dynamic contractions aerobically six times over a weekend, it's not happening. Yeah. So they can, it can look like they're happening and they can normatech it and pre-workout it and, and uh, knee sleeve it and hand wrap it and do what they want to do for the weekend. But they actually didn't participate. They actually didn't compete. They just participated. And so they shouldn't be competing a lot. And then the intermediate, they're probably competing like three times a year, four times a year. And so therefore, Cody, you're going to see how the base phases are broken out. If it's three times a year, then you've got a four month process where people are probably going through those quasi developmental periods getting ready for that competition and then now that the the concept has changed a little bit we're moving more towards i guess you could say like a a weekend ufc style competitive scenario now so it's not these you know there used to be just one thing right the five week open events right two workouts a week because everyone does it twice for five weeks so that's five weeks plus the four week prep that's like nine weeks of a lot of stress right so people could spend a whole year preparing for that big season, but now there's like comps all the time. Yeah. So you know what that's going to lead to? It's going to lead to a weeding out, and, but unfortunately it's going to lead to burning out a whole ton of people because they think that they can get into these competitive scenarios all the time without the base support. Do you find that once people get to that advanced level, they go from the intermediate competing multiple times a year. And now you're at an advanced level. The competitions are bigger. We want more time to prep because you're in the 1% of elite levels. You're actually competing. Like you go from competing less to competing more to competing less again, because it's more serious yep. and more taxing. Yep. yep. And, and when they, they compete more on the front end, as I said, for people who are good, they don't, they don't get the same dose effect as new people who don't have the capability. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I, I'm curious about this, this came up before we touch on recovery, how big of a role is genetics and all this? Because we talk about people who are just gifted with it. And I look at yeah. basketball, you know, people don't always look at basketball. There's NBA players that are 200 pounds and seven foot four running around like they're genetic anomalies who worked really hard, but they definitely have genetics on their side as well. So I'm just curious of like the people out there um, in the CrossFit yeah. games, for example, that are at the highest level competing. Do you find yeah. that those advanced athletes are pretty genetically gifted in most cases? Oh, for sure. But I would say uh, genetically gifted for the sport. Um, and we can't, we can't perceive to think that we're any different than any other sport. It's just that we're younger, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure we, well, we have seen it squeaked out for basketball, right? We've seen it squeaked out for um, 10K track, right? We've seen it squeaked out for the national female champion in gymnastics, right? We've seen it for a hockey player. We did it, did it, did it, right. So we can't believe to, you know, believe uh, that we're something different. So there is like an avatar that's starting to be built. And I would say, I call it one of my key performance indicators for the sport. Epigenetics is a big part to play or that whole conversation around how environment and genes kind of work together. Um, we're starting to see some of those things line up. Um, but I think uh, Cody to be really quick on it is that there's going to take a lot more money to go in there to, to be, to, to put research and design under the hood for like 
the top 200 uh, mixed mole athletes over the next number of years, the chances of us doing that are going to be fairly slim. But uh, I posit a couple of things um, in mixed modal that I discuss based upon that epigenetics of the avatar, I call it. That's like the perfect avatar for the sport. Um, and they probably have some things happening inside the cellular complex that gives them a better tissue tolerance for lactate thresholds. And it probably gives them some kind of um, genetic coding for how they use lactate as a fuel source a lot differently than a bunch of other people. And I think there are like, we'll call them unicorns, but there's a small percentage of folks who may have that under the hood. And if they get early movement solution education from like eight to 15 years of age, and they get a whole bunch of experiences in different sports, and they love seeing challenges in movement, and they do have this genetic code, you got yourself, I think, like who's the champions today. Yeah, and I, I find that stuff so interesting. My next question with that would be the mindset behind it because I think um, if you look at like even on some of your energy system stuff, 40 to 60 seconds on an assault bike, like really doing that to its full effect with the percentages that you need to do is just yeah. brutal. Like you have to be, have a different type of mindset to go through some of these workouts. Do you find yeah. that the athletes that you take that other level are just in a different place mentally as well? Yeah, no, that's a good, I like your segue on that for the conversation of it. Cause I think about that often, um, sometimes way too much where I can't sleep, but the mindset aspect, <laughs> I'll be honest, the mindset aspect is fascinating because we're always trying to figure out, like to really try to get the athlete to their maximum physical potential. I mean, that's why we're doing it all, right? I'm not sure if you feel that kind of woo-woo effect inside a sport, but we really just want to physically express ourselves as much as possible. That's the highest ideal. And anything that can allow us to get there, and obviously there's subset reasons why we do it underneath, right? It could be freedom. It could be love and acceptance, whatever the case may be, but we really just want to express ourselves. So I always think heavily about that. How can, I, how can I get their relative potential of mindset to the highest level, knowing, knowing that they may not have the epigenetics to do 60 seconds better than a shit ton of other people? So what is that little secret ingredient? I think it is the 2% of a mindset of making that person go a little bit more through practice, right? Through actual cognitive, psychological conversation and hard training so that they can raise their relative potential of their mindset ability. And I think, because you're not going to tell me, because this is where people think on mindset is, right? You just, you just believe it and you'll achieve it. It's like, no, no. If you can't, if you can't, if you're a male, you can't clean 330 pounds regularly. You can do. You can think about whatever you want. It's not gonna. It's not gonna make you better at the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. And people really think that they're like, I'm just gonna stay positive, man, and uh, it's just gonna happen. It's like, no, it won't. You know, um, I don't know what else to tell you. But what you can do is that you can think about ways in which you can create this connection to reality around your mindset practices, so that you can relatively gain. Right? Relative. That means to you. Like, what can you gain in that mindset? And I think that, to your point, can close the gap a little bit on that mindset training inside of what people may or may not have for their genetics. And I, I, love, I love that because the – and that's why I always loved about uh, the, uh, the, the, people know, the people that no one knows their name, the folks that are, like, in the gym in the morning and doing shit on their own. They're not posting on Instagram, and they're just doing the shit, and they're moving up the leaderboard, and they don't care what anyone thinks about it. That's the program I want to see. 
because there's shit inside of there around mindset and working hard. That's the beacon for us as to, you know, the secret ingredients really. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I love about that concept of uh, the mindset versus uh, genetics. So this has always interested me, especially now that I have a team of coaches working underneath me. How can I help my coaches understand this and how can I help my coaches express this to their clients? So I just want to, as a one leader to another leader, like how do you help your coaches display this to the client? Like what strategies can you implement? Cause I think it is, you know, people always ask questions in uh, our podcasts and, and uh, clients email in. And it's like, how do I get a stronger mindset? And like you said, it's not like, just think about it and just be more positive and just be more ambitious. Like there are little things you have to do on a daily basis to keep, keep pushing a little harder, keep stepping into resistance, keep challenging yourself a little more. So I'm just curious of like, how do you work about teaching that as a coach? Yeah, well, we all agree upon what an ideal mindset is, first of all, and every sport and every environment is going to change for that. Secondly, we come up with strategies as to how to assess where people sit on that mindset. And we use, we get actually help from clinical psychology and their continuum of where people sit. Um, this may be a continuum that you're aware of where people move from this opportunity of, let's call it awareness and fitness. That's what we call it. We call it a fitness IQ score. So they're, they're, they start out as being unconscious and incompetent, and then they move to conscious incompetence, and then they move to conscious competence, then they move to unconscious competence. And we get coaches to, first of all, have an ideal what best mindset is, but then secondly, assess where do you think people sit on this? Because what that gives us, Cody, as coaches, is an awareness as to how much work we need to do on, let's call it, mindset. Right. Because if we see that someone is, you know, at a level of unconscious competence, do you really need to sit down for an hour each week and talk about strategy and how are you dealing with perception and what's your visualization going into this process and how much more do you think you can do? No, you don't need to. Why? Because they are at such an automatic scenario of great you know, performance that you don't want to F that up. Right. And that's common the case. Right. Where people have been like psyched out because they start thinking too much or they're forced to think too much and then they lose that unconscious competence, right? But then if there's a lot of people which we get who are honestly unaware, right? They're like, oh, I'm really good. And then you test them <laughs> and you're like, you're really not that good. And so when, when I say you're really not that good, they now move to this conscious incompetence level and we have to move them up to a better competence level. But as soon as they become aware of the fact that they need to work on things like mindset and visualization and strategy and practice and perception and all those things, then we can start like moving them along. So as one coach to another for other coaches, that's what I would say. First, have an ideal of what you consider great mindset, right? And then have a list of things that you're all agreeing upon as a mantra for that. And then figure out with your own way, how do you assess where people sit on this continuum of the ideal mindset and a, and a lower order mindset? so that you can move them up the chain like any skill. I love that. And I always say self-awareness precedes change. And I think that's the biggest thing, right? You can't, you can't change anything you're unaware of. So I love the way mm -hmm. you put that. Um, to circle back but around. There's another, but there's another level. That's another level I, I would say that I agree with you. People have to go not only to self-awareness, but we have to set them up with this positive ability to move beyond just awareness. Because yeah. awareness doesn't get it. Right. And yeah. awareness will only get you like past the first couple of steps. But I yeah. do agree that the first thing. It's the introduction, right? It just gets yeah. you to start moving. So 100% agree. Um, with the recovery, because I know we were about to talk on that and we circled around it. Um, 
I guess my first question would just simply be how, like what, not necessarily strategies, because I don't like the idea of like, oh, just take an ice bath. Like it's not that simple, yeah. but just like, what do you yeah. put into recovery? Like how much weight do you put into that for your athletes to make sure? Because um, at the end of the day, if you don't recover, you don't adapt. You can't keep expressing your athleticism like you've been talking about. Um, so I'm curious yeah. around your thoughts on that. And then I kind of want to touch on um, a couple pieces inside that, but I'll get your answer on that first. Yeah, for sure. Um, for mixed modal, um, and inside the education itself, it's a fairly lengthy chapter because I have this context of um, when we discuss what mixed modal is, people have to, in the conversation on recovery, before I get to like what would those pieces be, uh, people have to actually be able to express what they want to recover from. So you have to be able to express it before you can recover such that it leads to growth. And if that doesn't occur, you don't try to fix it with recovery. You have to fix the expression or you have to figure out that you're not adapting and learning and improving. So I just give that as an overall perspective on it because there's so many things that we don't know about recovery, especially in mixed modal, because there's so many systems at play, so many limitations, right? So many fatigue limitations. So when people get tired in like on a incremental treadmill test, we kind of got an idea based upon who it is right now in science and evidence, exactly what causes that limitation of fatigue, right? Within mixed modal, it's very complicated, very complicated. So what gets you the ability, the quick answer to recover from one piece to the next? is when you can come back and express things at 100%. That's what dictates recovery. Now, what gets someone from there to there has to be, and I'll just use for, for brevity's sake, has to be natural means. Natural means. That means that it has to be an autonomic, self-organizing reintroduction back to homeostasis. There can't be any outside influences that brings that person after the stress back to homeostasis. If anything gets in the way of that, you have to remember, and I, just, I always use this analogy. I have like, I think it was like eight different systems that I talk about in terms of recovery, but let's just say in mixed modal, someone has a stress on Tuesday, right? And we're like, well, you know, on Wednesday, we're going to do cryotherapy, right? Why? Because, well, I, I heard about it on Instagram and everyone's doing it. So, hey, it must help me recover. Um, <laughs> anyway, I won't go down the shithole on that, but so they're like, well, that's going to help me recover. So what it, what it might do, Cody, it might give your immune system a little bit of a booster, right? It may be like, Hey, you know, uh, wake up a little bit. So that's okay. The immune system is, is one very small part of the other seven systems that need to recover before Thursday, before they go back and do that stressful event again. Do you see my point? So yeah. If you do cryo, you only get one out of the eight that are needed, right? So it could be cellular recovery, it could be central nervous system, um, it could be mechanical recovery for proprioception, etc. There's a bunch of different, you know, systems that need to come back up to a homeostatic mechanism before you stress it again. And I'm, I'm kind of moving towards, you know, an answer on that. It may not seem like it, but you have to, it has to naturally happen and natural means water, blood flow, foodstuffs, 
and anything that's going to cause your muscles to basically move blood more effectively to get waste product removed or to get your proprioceptors back up to par so that your CNS is like, okay, you're ready to do what you want to do again. Got it. And anything that impedes that or gets in the way, you're basically what I call your, your, you're creating compensatory systems. So you're, you're recovering all these systems and people can get better dude for like nine months, right? Stronger, more fit, et cetera, except all of a sudden something happens, right? And they're like, where did that come from? Like, why, why did I all of a sudden get sick for two weeks and ended up coughing for two weeks in a row? Well, maybe you duct taped your immune system, right? Because you were just running on cortisol for nine months because you thought that your recovery mechanisms of your post-workout shake and all your other things that you're doing is going to speed you up. All it did, it gave you, it gave you perception of you being recovered, but you see what happened to the immune system. It was going like this the whole time right? It was getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And your cortisol and stress response was just getting better and better over time. So you see the fundamental issue there is, is that you have to use natural measures and a self-organization to get back up to, to a homeostatic mechanism. And anything that impedes that is going to be a fundamental problem, either in a couple of weeks or years down the road. I love that. I, and, and correct me if I'm not 100% understanding, but I think it's similar to how I look at just general population too, is like recovery really comes from lifestyle and we'll categorize that as food and water and hydration, all those things, general movement, because yeah. you should be moving every day. Um, and then yeah. really it, recovery comes from smart program design. Yes. So that they can express it. Yeah. Right. That uh, program design is expression. So <clears throat> if you, and that's where I say recovery always starts with expression. It doesn't start with what are the modalities we can do. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, who are you? And are you designing the program correctly such that you can express that? Because if I give you a program that's a shitty program or it's guessing, you could just be surviving. You're not expressing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So now, how do you recover from a survival program? I probably got a carb load. Um, I probably got to have a really solid post-workout shake. I probably have to use this supplement adrenal extract in the morning to get myself up, right? Because my sleep is disrupted. I probably have to use ZMA because it'll slapstick a sleeping issue that I have, but everyone's doing it. So it's cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, and the litany will go on and on. Yeah. And, the, and all they're doing is just duct taping their system. It's facilitating overreaching, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And this is kind of tying into basically the thought of why individualization is so important. One it of is. the aspects, right? It is because you're basically saying, you know, if this is like their threshold, you're basically saying, I just want you to go here today, right? Just like flirt with what your capabilities are, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have this threshold, whatever it's tissue tolerance, metabolic threshold, whatever, and you're like playing over here because it's fun, that's a fucking problem. That's a big problem. And it's going like, to come back to home. But like that's that. high fives, right? Yeah. That's high fives and yeah. community and like whiteboarding and you get where I'm going there, right? Absolutely. Um, and you know, they've actually put out studies too, even in bodybuilding and hypertrophy. It shows that you can actually do more volume and build more muscle if you don't go all the way to failure all the time. For powerlifters, they don't do one rep maxes all the fucking time. Um, so now you're basically saying inside of the sport of fitness and mixed modal, you probably shouldn't be maxing out 24-7. It's the same principle, right? But yeah. for us, it's, it's, I would just call it more complicated because there's more than just mechanical and CNS absolutely. issues we got to deal with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think- The metabolic like, system, 
metabolic disarray and metabolic flexibility is, is, is mind-blowingly fascinating. Yeah. We had uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson on the podcast not long ago, and it's just – there's so much in-depth with it. And I've hung out with him a couple times in person, just talking to the guy is insane um, because he's like the metabolic flexibility guy. But I agree, and I think that's why – Again, going back to the first thing I said to you is like, I just love the philosophy behind education and why you guys are like, put that at the forefront because I think there's just, if there's any sport or type of fitness that needs it most, especially because it is a newer sport, it's mixed modal. It's the sport of fitness because there's just, it's so complex. There's just so much shit going on inside it's of it. Chaotic, it's right? It just looks chaotic. And unfortunately, that just gets it, it bleeds out into a lack of respect for the sport and yeah. the coaches and the athletes inside of it. And that's what I want to stop. Yeah. So one thing I really wanted to touch on with you is, you know, there's kind of this like there's there's three things people really focus on when we get into fitness. And I think sometimes people are confused about their goals. There is athleticism, like being your peak pinnacle strength, speed, sport. There is aesthetics. So just trying to be ripped or built or whatever. And then there's longevity. There's health and longevity. Um, you can get a little bit of each of them, but you can't get a lot of all of them at once, right? Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, mm -hmm. In the sport, a lot of the people that I have uh, done nutrition work for inside the sport of fitness, I have this issue with between aesthetics and uh, performance. Like, yeah. oh, well, like, you know, I, I still want to be ripped, but I want to like PR and do this. I'm like, well, we need more food. We need more recovery. Like you can't do both. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you have that conversation? I just really want to get your thoughts on it, man. Like where yeah. does this, cause there, I think this is where the whole genetics thing comes into play. There are people who can only focus on performance and they're going to look ripped because yeah. that's what their genetics allow them to do. But yeah. I think people need to understand that you have to have a goal. Like Dan John's famous quote, keep the goal, the goal, like that has yeah. to be in place. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, that's the, well, I would say it's the same thing, um, but just in different language. Um, I won't sound like a hypocrite saying that I haven't like massaged those conversations to change up people's mindset around that. But um, like today, as of today, I'm pretty adamant is like, if you tell me that you want to look ripped, but you're inside the sport, I'll fire you as a client. Like everyone, everyone knows that very clearly. It's like, that's just the wrong intention, right? So, but my point is on that is that we want to make, you know, using Dan's commentary, the goal, the goal, meaning that the goal is to improve performance, correct? And they'll go, yes, yeah, to improve performance. Okay, if we track performance and you get leaner, what are we going to do if your performance goes down, right? And that's the question you have to ask, right? So then you get to figure out, well, are you doing this with the right intent or are you doing it to look good naked? Which is, which is for the sport, I would argue, is the wrong intent, right? And I know it sounds judgmental, but I really don't give a shit what people think. It actually is the wrong intent. If you want to look good naked, dude, just do it, but don't do the sport yeah. because you're confusing, you're confusing everything. You're, you're making my job a shit show. You're making athletes, even young athletes, and their perception of what should be inside the sport completely differently, right? You're confusing the program design because people are getting, you're getting tired and then you're blaming your coach. You're like, it's not your coach's fault. You're not eating enough, right? Yeah. Um, and so this, so I try to, I, I definitely do try to massage that out, but I just try to work on performance as being the metrics and then you got to have a fitness monitoring area in place, right? Where they can see that they're not improving in performance. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, and I don't, I don't want to use the analogy for powerlifting because you use it, but that's the beauty around it is like, you're either doing more dude or you're not like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Like, do you want to get stronger? Do you want to get to the competition and look good, but be last place and weaker than last year? No. Well, fucking eat your food. Like you know, it's, it's, it's like a, uh, 
really, it's a very simple, like go to here, get better. Are we good with that? Great. And that's what you continue to do. And we use performance as that, like, you know, signature point. And I think the point that maybe coaches could hear from that is that you have to be transparent with the client that you're, that you're tracking that. Like they need to be able to see that you're, you're uh, being in line with it so that it can keep everyone honest. Right. Yeah. So then they can, basically, they can become maybe self-evident then on their practices and behaviors around food where they start figuring it out for themselves, which is a beautiful thing, right? Where they start figuring out, wow, you know what? F this like looking good naked thing. I feel better when I eat this. I'm recovering. I love performing better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just so you know, I'm not, I do nutrition for some powerlifters, but I'm not like in powerlift space. I use that as an example because it's the easiest thing. I know. It's just, yeah, we were using it for analogy. Yeah. Um, so do you have any, uh, have you had experience with people who, and this is kind of my thought process on it too, because I agree with you. If you just focus on performance and just keep those key indicators and assess over time, just get better at performance and only focus on that. You eat well, you feel better, stress goes down, you're performing better. There's a good chance you actually will get leaner and probably more muscular, but it's just a longer buy-in. The problem with people is like, well, I want to be like the most athletic, but I want to look ripped in 60 days. And it's like, well, how about you buy into performing better for a full year and let's see where your body looks at in a year. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. That's very, but again, it's a very challenging notion. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially for today and people's perspective on, um, I mean, if we got it hard and mixed model around the intention thing, um, general population around looking good naked is a really tough project, really tough project because everyone believes because they're told 12 times a day that they can just get it in 20 days. Right. Yeah. And if you're like, no, it's going to take a year. They're like, screw you. I'll go find someone else who's going to tell me I can get it in 20 days. Yeah. Well, and that's right? why I'm so passionate about education is because I think more and more people need to understand that. And, I, and you guys do the same thing because the more that message yeah. gets out, the more people will come after they've tried eight different fad things. They'll eventually fuck over. And yeah, on that point, if there's other coaches or industry professionals listening in, you have to also criticize bad ideas. You can't just hope to move the needle on one person at a time. Mm hmm. You have yeah. to criticize bad ideas. So when you see other professionals out there promoting this, it's going to happen in six weeks with a four-week program or a six-week transformation. That's a bad idea that we as professionals need to criticize. 100% agree. I, couldn't, I could not agree with you more. Um, because we're talking about this and like Gen Pop, I, I am curious because I believe you guys do still coach people who aren't specifically competitive athletes. And I'm just curious of like how you guys That's approach Coaching. Yeah, our whole CCP, yeah, yeah, our whole CCP, our whole education for OPEX, right? Yeah, um, which is the original product of like what OPEX does, is coaching those coaches to work with general population to the masses. Got it. Okay. That's what our CCP education does. So think of it in two buckets. Mixed model yep. is like take your children and beat and beat up your family, right? <laughs> it's sport, right? And CCP is like hike when you're 95, sex in the morning, fall off the mountain and have a good life, yeah. right? Yeah. That's what, that's what CCP is. It's all wrapped around how to live the largest life possible through fitness. I love that. So can you describe like briefly, because we don't have a ton of time, obviously, but just how you, like what are the main differences between athlete and gen pop? Because I think some people need to hear just what the differences yeah. are so they can understand. You can still train like an athlete, but it can be a little bit more specific to the general population. Yeah. Yeah, um, that you are right. That there is a lot of time to assess that one out, but um, it's pretty simple. Uh, the word I use is intent. So, and there has to be a lot of uh, conversation 
to get that correct alignment, right? Because you may have to deconstruct everyone's preconceived notions on like, but he said I was an athlete and Nike says I'm an athlete if I have a body and athlete, <laughs> athlete, athlete. It's like, uh, no, <laughs> you just told me you want to like pick up your kids more effectively and go for a hike in the summer. Is that what you told me? Like, yeah, that's what I told you. That's got nothing to do with an athletic program. Okay. Yeah. You may, you may do an RDL like that NFL player that's over there, but you're not an athlete. So let's get that classification correct. So the, the way that we suss that out is really clear alignment of intention. And though I just said it to you indirectly, I say it humorously, but it gets people's at least thinking on it. Um, athletes want pleasure, <coughs> pain, points, and prizes. That's what athletes go after. And they don't go after health. They actually go away from health. And when we start getting on board with that, that athletes don't do it for health, they do it for folly and for maximal expression, then we'll start recognizing that it's not a healthy substitute for movement. And whenever we play that middle, and I'll challenge you on the language too, Cody, whenever we play that middle ground of like, well, you can quasi do athletic stuff. No, you're not. Because even your intention of the power clean or your conditioning is you're doing it to beat that person, to take their money, right? To take their lunch, right? It's still a physical expression, but you do it to beat people, right? And if you're like, well, that doesn't happen in sport. Have you ever been in a ring with someone for mixed martial arts? They think they're going to be like, oh, dude, you know, let's go soft here so that we can both share the, <laughs> you know, but no, it doesn't happen. So in soccer, you know, you know, I mean, I can come up with numerous examples, but sport is sport and it's, that's the beauty of it. So leave it alone. And it's a different directive. And I think it's the opposite end of the continuum of vitality. Vitality is over here. Sport and excellent performance is here. Guess what's real close to that? sickness and guess what's just to the right of that death mm -hmm. vitality is the other end other end of the spectrum right this is homeostasis that's like normal janes and joes and then you move this way when you become quote unquote more fit to live long and prosper so the general population has to have intention <coughs> around ask, answering the question what am i going to do every day in movement for the rest of my life that allows me to have this ideal of, and this can be chosen based upon the coach and the client, what is my ideal at the end? If your ideal is great mental acuity, right? You got all your pieces and you can function, right? Not sitting in a bed medicated and just trying to rock back and forth to, to wake up and not even being conscious of it. And if you feel that that is threatening, well then wake the up, right? You need to recognize you have to have an ideal as to what that long-term play is. That, Cody, is the conversation that general population should be going through for fitness. Not losing fat, not <coughs> getting as strong as shit, not winning and winning a world championship in anything, is how can we move every day for the rest of your life to have the ideal of 90 years of age and being mentally acute and being functional? And then we reverse engineer that shithead backwards, right? Now you're 22 and you're telling me you want to do fitness because you want to live long and prosper? Dude, you got 68 years left of doing shit correctly to be able to be mentally acute and move around forever if that's what you want. And do you see how that now fundamentally shifts? Well, what should I do today, Cody? Probably some split squats and a little bit of salt bike, right? And some awesome push-ups later, you know? Yeah. Why? Because they want to do it forever where the intention now is completely different. 
So I, I have a, <coughs> excuse me, I have a very clear line between athleticism and general population. I think they're like on complete other ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I think the problem is that what you just said <coughs> is a little too blunt and raw for marketing. And that's why people totally. get so confused. Totally, dude. But that doesn't make it wrong. Wrong. No, I absolutely agree. And I'm okay. on the same page with you. Yeah, absolutely. Is this where, because I believe you had, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you had a little bit of um, influence on the whole functional bodybuilding thing that has kind of exploded with like Marcus Philly and stuff. Um, is this kind of how that started to come about? Uh, yes, in, indirectly, not through my process though, but having this appreciation for our strict absolute strength in where it plays a role in longevity for individuals who want to like, number one, recover from CrossFit or CrossFit and grid, which is what Marcus got into it for, right? Mm -hmm. He got into it because like, you know, let's improve these movements and go away from the metabolic environment and the dynamic contractions all the time. And then look what bubbles up, right? This beautiful appreciation for absolute strict strength, right? And so functional bodybuilding is that combination of gymnastics, absolute strength, and kinds of contractions that are all like brought together that balances stability versus intensity, right? Which is what fundamentally, what I'm talking about is what a shit ton of people need to do in gen pop to live long and prosper. It's not power clean, touch and go. It's not box jumps. It's not running around the building and getting tired for five times in a row, right? Those are all for sport, right? And everyone and the, the whole argument people get on that is like, yeah, but those are fun and that gives me a great metabolic effect. But does it take you away from being uh, effective at 90? Yes. It's a fact now. It's not, it's not uh, you know, theory. It's a fact. You, you're not going to find people, you know, for example, for me, well, not for me because I'm taking care of myself more appropriately, but you, you talk to someone who's 38 years of age who spent 17 years in dynamic contractions, and guess what programming they're doing, Cody? Do you think they're doing thrusters and pull-ups on a Friday, Friday afternoon? No. Nobody. No, they're doing functional bodybuilding and they're doing easy aerobic work. That's what they're doing. Yeah. You know why? They're finally connecting what is required for human function, right? We don't need to like, we're not gladiators anymore, right? We don't need to fight anymore. We yeah. get food served to our door from Amazon. We got porcelain, <laughs> you know, toilets we take a shit on, right? Like shit's good, right? I got my phone. I can get everything right in front of me. Um, we don't have to fight off warriors anymore unless there's apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, or the climate drastically changes where we're fighting off robots. We don't really need to work on that intense uh, fitness anymore. We're intelligently designed, and now we need to find some intention towards bodybuilding and easy aerobic work for gen pop. Uh, no, I love the whole split, man. And I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate that people have to actually get injured or hurt or stop training, have a reason to stop training, have hormonal issues, so on and so forth. It's unfortunate that some people have to go down a negative route in order to see this, in order to learn this. Uh, but it is what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, we need to make this aware. And I, I appreciate the way you guys go about it because you are really raw and real and informative about it. And I think it's important for us as coaches and as people who have these platforms to educate people and let them know like, yo, it's okay to do some bodybuilding. It's okay to do sustainable, low intensity cardio. Like these things are not bad and we should actually probably practice multiple modalities and multiple energy systems within it all. 
So just just a kudos to you guys, big respects to you guys, because I love what you guys are doing, and I preach a similar message. Um, but I know we're running out of time here shortly, so I do have one final personality question for you, and it's actually pretty funny because as I was preparing for my interview on your guys' podcast, the OPEX Fitness Podcast, I went back and listened to some old episodes, and I realized that you guys have the same exact personality question as me. So when I jumped on, I gave Roby shit because I was like, yo, you stole my personality question, and he thought I stole his, and it was kind of funny. But um, I'm not going to change it up, so I'm going to ask you the exact same question that you guys ask all your guests. The situation is that you are sitting down at a dinner table, and you have three empty seats in front of you. You can choose anybody to be at that table with you, dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. Who's sitting with you? That's a great question again. Um, I can't even remember what I answered the last time. So how about this one? Um, uh, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't mind having a conversation with the a highest, you know, genetic compassion uh, that you have. You know, maybe there'd be some, I have some good questions for, for him. Um, uh, Freddie Mercury, I'll just say that because my daughter is so like, interested right now in uh bohemian rhapsody and the movie That's and then so she cool. just got she's 12 years of age and she's like deep into queen right now which I, i'm loving but yeah um so awesome. i i ask him a bunch of questions to pass along to her um <clears throat> uh christopher hutchins um he's a one of the initial uh atheist philosophers um and someone who outside of just being under that new atheist, you know, uh, conversation, his, his conversation, his wit, his humor, his, um, his, you know, ability to make you just sit there. And after like a sentence, he just like strikes down like your entire being. And so I would love to ask him a couple of questions just so I could be like, <laughs> take that. actually, which would be super ironic. Jesus Christ and Christopher Hutchins would be a beautiful Beautiful conversation. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Uh, I love it, man. A great roundtable. Now, before we get going, before we wrap it up, man, please tell us where we can find everything. Tell the listeners where they can go find all of your content, all your education, all your information because you guys got so much good stuff out there. Yeah, opexfit.com, and you'll get all the information there about CCP and uh, um, what we do for Mixmodal. Um, thebigdogs.com, uh, where if you want to, if you're really interested in mixed mold as a sport, you want to get coached by it, by one of our awesome coaches, we, we want to go there. Uh, that's thebigdogs.com, B I G D A W G S.com. And I'm on Instagram mainly, um, uh, J Fitz Opex, where I keep in contact with coaches and I give my workout design of every day. Um, and, uh, generally just share some information there. <laughs> 